Welcome to the Brazil Church of the Nazarene Weekly Sermon. You are listening to the message from Sunday, December 30th, 2018. Today, Pastor reflects on the cost of obedience to God and what it takes to grow in a relationship with God in the new year. Here is Pastor Marlon Betts. It's amazing how fast years fly by. Days, weeks, months turn into years and years into uh, decades and centuries. None of us have experienced the century, <laughs> but it just keeps going, goes by so fast. Another year, I reflect and was praying this morning, you know, what have we done for Christ? And another year's gone. So much of our focus today is on ourselves, so little focus is on Jesus. God is calling us to make a difference, to be that person, to be the one who's not like everyone else, who will actually live Jesus and point others to Christ. That is the message that we need to look at every day of our lives. Because if not, Another year will be going by and we'll be saying the same thing again. Wonder what I did for Jesus this year. As we look at Matthew chapter 2, not quite completely, totally out of the Christmas spirit yet in my mind. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they have this dialogue back and forth. Verse 11, And when... The wise men had come into the house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The story does not end. It continues. But let's stand together for a moment of prayer. Today, Lord, as we look at transitions in our lives, and we think of, obviously, still Christmas fresh in our minds, help us, Lord, to realize that it is us who needs to transition, us who needs to worship, us who needs to grow, and Lord, it's uh, to you that we surrender this morning, this service, this sermon, this heart of ours, <laughs> and ask, Lord, for you to speak again. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. If you've been following along in our Advent messages this year, I have been using the idea of Christmas and the word us, uh, unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given, the promise of Isaiah that, that Jesus was given to us. He is the best gift we can receive at Christmas. And then focus. That was our, 
to me, my word for our Christmas program, and the challenge was that uh, we need to think less about shopping and getting things done, that all the Christmas rush, and focus on Jesus. And then with us, God could not be just like us, but he came to be with us in order to save us from sin. That was last week, and today, now us, now us. We have a choice to make. How do we respond to the gift of Jesus? What are we going to do? Because Jesus has come. And so we turn to this transition of Christmas to the new year, and this is a good time to reflect on how we're going to respond to, to Jesus, to Jesus, to this gift that we've been talking about. First response is that of the wise men, the response of worship. The response of worship. Nearly two years after the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, a caravan of scholars arrived from foreign countries to visit the newborn king. We don't have time to go into all the details about the wise men this morning. That's, that's not the, the focus. It's, it's an interesting thing. There's a lot of conjecture, a lot we don't know. Uh, there's a lot of falsity and tradition Three wise men is the tradition, but it is, and they even named them. But we have no clue. We have no clue. Probably was quite a group of individuals. Um, And so they came. The purpose of this journey, according to verse 2, to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem, was to find the new king of the Jews. And not just find him. Worship him, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. They fulfilled their mission, according to verse 11, which is why I read that verse, by literally kneeling before the king, Jesus, who was really a baby child, a a young two-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old, somewhere in there, and they fell on their face and worshiped him. Fall on your knees. And that's what they did. The concept of physical worship has changed over the years. I think the attitude, though, is the same today as it has always been. When we say we're going to come to worship Jesus, we may do it physically different, but the attitude of the heart is the same. The Greeks made the word worship out of the verb, Greek verb, to kiss. Because they would kiss the ground or the base of the idol, the ground in front of their idol statues or the, the base, even up to the base of it, and, and they would kiss that as they're showing their uh, subservience to that particular idol that they would do whatever it says. And, and so the idea of worship then is changing because in order to kiss the ground, you're going to get down and actually... In some cases, they would even lay down, prostrate, before that idol in their worship. And so the idea to kiss was associated with worshiping and associated with kneeling and falling on your face in a position of worship. Worship then becomes associated with a position. Now, kneeling or lying down in front of an idol 
has been going on, and, and that has been transformed into Christianity as kneeling or, or lying prostrate before Jesus. Martin Luther and others would lay literally in the shape of a cross on their back or on their stomach and pray. That was their position because they wanted to worship and they wanted to talk to God and let him know that he was their king, their ruler. So the idea is, is more than just a position though. Worship involves an attitude of worship and submission, of giving worth, which is what worship means in English, worth-ship, giving worth to, and also submitting to that one that you're bowing to. Now, when I was growing up, at prayer time, even in worship services, even in church, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, when they said, we're going to go before the Lord in prayer, everybody stood up, turned around, and got down and knelt in their pew, in their seat. And that was interesting, because then you could find the gum up underneath the, it had been placed there, because when people were chewing gum in church, and they'd tuck it up underneath there, and, and you could crawl around on the floor, and you could do all kind of stuff as a kid. I mean, it was kind of fun, when you get down there out of eyesight, you can get by with some things. But it was an attitude for them of actually physically in the presence of God in the sanctuary, kneel before God. And it was a habit that we had. And I remember that. I don't know that I did much worshiping as a child, but I learned to develop that. Um, and that is why we still have an altar today. There's something about the physical act of kneeling in the presence of God, to acknowledge in, in humility that I am coming before you and I'm not coming as an equal. I'm coming as a subservient to you, my heavenly Father, my King on the cross, my Savior, the one I give worth to, I worship today. But even though we don't do that much in our church anymore, and I don't know what you do in your private devotion. Some people have a place where they kneel for devotions, which is fine. Some like to pace like I do as they pray. But however it is, it's not so much our physical posture as it helps in some cases to humble yourselves. But to me, it's the attitude. You can humble yourselves inside as you're talking to the Lord. Whether you're sitting or standing or kneeling or laying prostrate before the God, it doesn't matter. It's your attitude. It's the attitude that you are king and you are my Lord and I will do whatever you tell me to do. That's the attitude. And I am here because I love you and I want to praise you and I want to give myself back to you because of what you've done for me. Because actually worshiping God and submitting to God's will by making the changes in our lives that he's telling us to do. Because what is the act of kneeling? What is the act of doing all this stuff if we aren't willing to do what the king says? So it's not only an attitude of, yes, I love you and I want to worship you and you're the greatest thing that's ever happened to this universe and into my life, but also 
what do you want me to do today? How can I become more like you today? How can I be the man, the woman, the child that you have called me to be to be fulfilling my purpose and my plan for which the divine creator has created me? So making the changes, submitting to God, worshiping Him, praising Him is more important than getting physically down on the floor. Because I think even back then in some of those days, there were some people that kneeled down, like myself as a child, who did not really worship God. It was just what we were told to do. So it's important in this transition from Christmas to a new year to develop an attitude of worship. Who or what you worship shows everyone else who or what your God is. Because some people, it's not a who, it's a what. Some people know more about a sports team than they do about Jesus. Some people know more about some Hollywood elite than they do about Jesus Christ. Some people know more about the statistics of some person than they do the statistics of Jesus. And so we begin to wonder to ourselves, what is filling our minds? What are we putting our efforts into? Some people have higher scores playing games than they do reciting Scripture. Some people post on Facebook, I've made another level of achievement. My Bible app lets me put badges on there if I wanted to, but I don't want a part of Facebook. I could tell you all the badges I've earned. Reading the Bible, I, I don't think that that's necessary, but I'm just saying, however you want to express it, but where in our lives is the fact that Jesus is number one? Because your vehicle in the church parking lot on Sunday morning declares to your neighbors and community that you are putting an effort out to come and worship Jesus. And if your car stays in your driveway on Sunday morning, you're also telling your neighbors and friends that that morning you failed to worship Jesus. It's almost like if you're sick on a Sunday morning, you need to go out and put a sign out there saying, sorry, I'm sick, I didn't go to church. Because you're messing with your witness, right? As to who is God in your life. Well, the bed beat God out today as the important thing in my life. Now that's practical preaching. Singing, praying, learning, giving, praising All these things that we do are acts of worship and actions. Because you see, worship is not a noun. It is a verb. It's something that we do. It's not something that we have. It's not just like that box. That's not worship. Worship is doing something with the box. Obedience to God's will is the greatest act of worship that we can give. When God says, Pastor, I'd like you to do this, the greatest act of worship I can do is obey him because he's the king, and I want to do whatever the king says. 
For goodness sakes, we file our, our IRS stuff by, by April the 15th or whatever date it is, usually around the 15th, and we make sure we get it in at the last minute because we want to hold our money as long as we can before we pay them off, and so we'll hold on to it till April the 15th. But then we will do what they tell us to do. But when Jesus says, bring your tithe in, not Jesus, but the Bible, I know all of you wait to the end of the year. Well, this is the last Sunday. I don't know where that came from because I never preach about tithing. But maybe you needed that reminder because if you're going to get a contribution receipt. And Jared sends that out, and it's really interesting. Take your contribution receipt and then place it next to your W-2s. And see if you've been giving God his due. Wow, we're preaching good today. So obedience to God's will is the greatest act of worship that we can give. Our submission to God's will and God's purpose for our lives proves he is the only one that we worship. He is greater than all things. He's greater than the best parent. He's greater than the, than the best car. He's greater than the biggest thing that ever happened to us. He's greater than all of that. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And yet, if I have time for you, God, I'll pray today. If I have time for you, God, I'll read your word today. If I have time for you, God, I'll give you five minutes today. Is he really something we worship? The wise men responded through worship, but there was a different response to the news of Jesus' birth. The response of fear. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, that they had come to worship this king of the Jews, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, the word troubled in the New Testament always has a negative sense to it. I found various definitions of the Greek term, including being troubled, frightened, terrified, emotionally disturbed. One even had shocked, and there's a few others. You know, they're just trying to make the play to, for that particular context to make you get the impact of it. Uh, distressed, um, those kind of things. Now, I can understand why Herod would have been troubled or fearful or distressed or concerned when he found out that, that there was a king of the Jews to be born and that these guys had come from another country to pay homage to this, to this new king that was being born. I mean, wouldn't that kind of scare you if you were the king? All right, when are they going to kick me off the throne and they become top dog around here? And it's not my own family line, like usually happened. The Herods had a family line but of, of rulers. But anyway, that could trouble him. Um, but why did Matthew write that all Jerusalem with Herod was also trouble, fearful, upset, distressed, concerned? That's a little harder to understand. And Jerusalem was the capital city of Judea, and all of Israel, technically, 
And so a lot of leaders lived there. Jerusalem was also the site of the temple that you had to make your pilgrimages to as a male. Three times a year you were supposed to do this, go up to Jerusalem, as we heard in Tom's Sunday School class today. And so here they have this, um, Jerusalem, capital city, Jerusalem, center of religious worship for the people of Israel. So I think Matthew is referring to the leadership of the country, but especially the religious leaders being upset at the news of Jesus' birth. All those leaders there, they're the ones that hear that there's this king of the Jews being born, and the religious leaders are immediately saying, aha, that means the Messiah And if the Messiah has finally shown up after all these years when we've given up on him and we're living the way we want to live and we're leading people the way we want to lead and we're certainly not leading them according to God's book. Now they're getting a little fearful and troubled, right? Because they are not living right and they're not leading the people right. And so they're getting upset. The Messiah would shake things up. The Messiah would call them into accountability for their long, uh, wrong leadership. The Messiah would see through their thin disguises and expose them for being self-centered instead of God-centered. In fact, Jesus took them to task. Woo! Why, you see a person in need and you don't even lift their load with your little pinky finger. That's how religious you are. You're just a whited sepulcher. You look good on the outside, all whitewashed, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. What have you done for Jesus? What have you done for the kingdom? What have you done with your leadership? Your religiosity. You walk around and you make long prayers. You put ashes all over your face when it's the day to fast, two days a week. Oh boy, we're religious. But what have you done? To help your people to God. Oh, the Messiah has come? Boy, that shook them up. They won't need us religious leaders to tell everybody how to live and how they're supposed to act. That they make bigger phylacteries and, and, and put longer tassels. and Oh, they'll be real religious then. Really? How about a relationship with God that changes the way you act toward God and toward other people? How about that? And Jesus laid that out there while John the Baptist started it. Repent. That's what you need to do. Repent. Whew, where am I at? Because God could see through their thin disguises. Expose them. The political leaders are being paid by the Romans to keep things quiet in their country and don't let anybody, no zealots around here, don't let any uprisings happen. The religious leaders had a market going on in the temple courtyards where they were making money off of people coming in to do sacrifices. For goodness sake. My house should not be called a house of prayer. It's now a den of thieves. So they're kind of shook up a little bit about the idea of Messiah showing up. And what's the first thing he does when he arrives in Jerusalem as an adult? He cleans the temple. What's the last thing he does in his final week before he dies? He cleans the temple. 
So John wrote in his gospel about the arrival of Jesus in, in John 1.11. He says, he came to his own. His own did not receive him. But to many has received him. You know, it's a, next verse is beautiful. But that verse hits me. Here comes the Messiah. We don't want you. Son of God, we don't want you to change our lives. We don't want you to change our worlds. We're fearful about what it's going to do because we are no longer in control. Jesus will be in control, and he will set things right. Now, don't get too smug when we look at these fearful men. Because if Jesus was to physically show up at your house, Someone was talking to me about their work situation and junk that's going on. What if Jesus were to physically show up at your place of work? What if Jesus were to physically show up at our places of worship today? I think there'd be a little shaking going on. If he saw how we talked how we acted on a daily basis, the kind of words that we used, the attitudes that we showed. If you knew, wouldn't you begin to make some changes? Jesus is coming today. I better shovel those things out of the way. I I don't think it's the dust and dirt that's going to bother us as much as the attitudes and the words and the bad habits. Right? Right? Things we probably should have been working on all along, but we just keep putting it off because, yeah, he hasn't come yet. He's not coming yet. That's the problem these religious leaders had. Hadn't come yet. We've heard that story before. Jesus is coming. Somehow I think that we know that our attitudes and our actions are not ready for the inspection visit from Jesus as much as we would like to think. And so therefore we need to work on those things then why aren't we working on those things? Amen? I'm not much for New Year's resolutions, but what if? So there needs to be a third response. Response of worship, response of fear. The third one is the response of growth. Because I honestly would like to think that I respond to the gift of Christ through worship, the surrender of my life, in obedience to the will of God, that I, that I fall before him and, and say, you are my king and my Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I would love that to be my response to the will of God and, and him as being my king. But honesty reminds me that the arrival of Christ into my life can be a fearful thing because God never leaves things the way they are. Wherever Jesus shows up, he cleanses. When he comes to the temple, he tips over some tables. He, he sets loose some pigeons, and he drives some sheep out of the way, and he makes some people upset because why? We're not where we need to be. And so I know that this is my ideal, that I will be this worshipful, wonderful, cute little pastor who has arrows ducks in a row, and everybody looks at him and says, oh, that's our pastor. He's so religious. 
But in my own personal life, I know that I am fearful sometimes that I'm not being what God wants me to be. Right? That I can improve. I can do better. And you feel that way. I know you do. Because an honest heart seeking after God would say, I can do better. There's a table over here that needs overturned. There's some sheep that need driven out. Because why? This is a house of prayer. And we've made it a den of thieves. We, we've turned it into a corporate espionage. I don't know, whatever. We've changed it. we twisted it. We've warped it. And then we've put our little stamp of approval on it and said, I'm still a Christian. And I'm okay. We can be a Christian, but we are a work in progress that needs to be growing in Christ. I have a lot of spiritual growing to do. And I even believe after I get to heaven, I'm going to have some spiritual growing to do. I think it's something I'll do for the eternity. I will never be as good as God, but I'm going to continue to be better than I was. Amen. So since you are like me, somewhere between worship and fear, I'd like to present the option of growth. And I want to grow from that fear, from that uh, discouragement, from that frightening, from that uh, disillusionment, or whatever it is, my excuses, I'm going to grow from that this year to more submission, more surrender, right? Quicker to act, respond. I want to change from a self-focus to more of a surrender to God's will. And I'm telling you, you have to fight self-focus. Because everything that you hear is self-focus. If it's out there, it's self-focus. If it's media, it's self-focus. If it's political, it's self-focus. If it's Hollywood, it's self-focus. I'm telling you, everything, you have to fight it. If it's a commercial, it's self-focus. You need this product. And then you'll have whiter teeth than anybody else. Come on! Right? And they have bags under your eyes. Look at this stuff. And I'm going, what's going to be in a week from now? When you run out of money for the stuff you put into your bags and your eyes. It's self-focused, folks. You might as well get used to just being God-focused. Because you ain't going to be beautiful until Jesus makes you beautiful from the inside. And all the cosmetics in the world ain't going to change who you are. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So all of this self-focus <laughs> needs to go to a surrender to God's will. Now, just to review, all of the Christmas characters went through this response of growth. All of them. From Zacharias, who was there in the temple that day, putting the incense on the altar, letting the representing the prayers of the people going up at the time of the, of the morning sacrifice. It was going on outside, and the people all knelt to pray, doing their routine every day. Then God shows up through an angel and says, Guess what, Zacharias? I don't care that you're a million years old. You're going to have a son. Oh, yeah? 
Even if an angel tells me, he says, I'm not going to believe this story. And God says, okay, boom, you can't talk for nine months. And his wife went crazy. So he had to go from to growth, right? The fear of how this is going to change his life, and what I was going to, you know. So he, and, he, and it turned into growth. And by the time John the Baptist was born, he was full of worship. And he writes this beautiful poem, and they are worshiped to God for what he has done. His words, and he speaks eloquently. He had changed. And I, I look at Mary, the next person that shows up in the Christmas story, and, and she's a girl, and a little 12-year-old perhaps, and, and God says, you're going to wear something. How can this be? And she ends up praising God. My soul doth magnify the Lord. After she surrendered to God's will. Joseph, who was so fearful of the consequences that he wanted to divorce from his betrothal to, to Mary, could put her away privately and not get her stoned to death like the rest of the adulteresses would have been done. But no, I'll, I'll do the right thing. But it still wasn't right enough because God said, you've got to surrender to my will and you've got to take her and her shame and become part of that family. Yes, God. He grew in his surrender to God's will. The shepherds are frightened by the angel's message. Fear not. Behold, they bring you. But they surrendered, left their flocks for the most part. Maybe you left one or two behind. I don't know exactly, but they followed the will of God and went and worshiped, and they grew. What a story they had to tell. The wise men, two, two and a half, three years, I don't know how long it was that they followed that star and then finally made it back home, but they surrendered to the will of God, and they had experienced worship. They saw something that very few other people did. I'm always awed as I go through Christmas of the, the fear, the disruption, the changes that occurred in the lives of these principal Christian uh, Christmas individuals. But they all chose to submit to God's plan. And because of that choice, they grew. They grew from their fear to worship. submission I believe God knows all of my fears and all of our excuses doesn't he oh I can't be a better Christian because I can't give this up because I can't move forward because I can't all of our fears all of our excuses I think he knows they, them very very well I wonder if he gets tired of them no, he doesn't. He's more compassionate. But in the midst of that, as he listens to them again and again, he just says, child, why don't you grow out of that? Amen? Child, why don't you step up? Child, be more like me. In compassion and love, he just draws. He never coerces. He never whips. He never beats. 
child, be like me. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider himself robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant. And be found as a servant, he became obedient to the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given a name that's above every name that's the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I left out the part about heaven under the earth, above the earth, all that stuff. But it means everybody will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is God knows my fears and excuses. Life often is very messy. Change always brings fear. Humans are so fearful of change. So fearful of change. We don't like it. The aspect of the nursing home frightens us. But I've already picked out my room. Because if you live long enough, you're going to be there. I joke about it, but it is more of a reality than a joke. Because life is messy. There's always something to fear. We got the phone call, the text message, and the email. Bam, within a space of a few. Somebody... It's using your credit card. We've had the same credit card for 35, 40 years. And now, bam, it's gone. I had the number memorized. But all of a sudden, people were purchasing things all over the United States. Life is messy. Life is fearful. Stuff is happening all the time. People go from here to here. Remember in 2008 when you lost thousands of dollars in your investments, your retirements, whatever you were involved in? Bam, just boop. I mean, if that's all there is, folks, commit suicide and jump off a bridge and do other things with your life. But tell you what, that's not the focus. Somewhere we have to get beyond the self-centeredness of, oh, poor me and what's happening in my life and begin to focus on there is a God who sent his son by the name of Jesus who was born in a baby in a manger became the gift of gifts for us who died on the cross and allows us to look to him every day in prayer and send his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we can know how to live and act and be. And that God loves you so much. He wants to change you and make you more and more like him every day. So with all these fears, these excuses, and many people, what do they do? They turn to God. But if they don't turn to God, they turn to addictions, which are driving our world, literally. Addictions. Oh, I can't go without that today. I've got to have that. I can't cope. If I don't have 16 cups of coffee and five Mountain Dews, 
You thought I was going to say cigarettes or booze or prescription drugs. They're addictions as well. But we have become addicted to the feelings that we can't cope without our props in life. Woo, that's good preaching. That wasn't even in here. And the other way we escape is sinful behaviors. Isn't it true? Just keep doing it because it feels good. What feels good? Sinning feels good? I got by with it. I'm smarter than you. I don't know. That attitude of getting by, gambling it, and coming through. I'm a winner this time. I made it. I snuck around. Until you run for Supreme Court of the United States and they pull something out of your college yearbook. You better be careful what you do, folks. Somebody's got a camera on you. Oh, well, here we go. Fearful. We do all these things to escape the realities and the hurts of life. I've been to funerals where they were drinking. The family were drinking outside before they went in. Can't deal with it. Got to have my prop. Well, maybe you're familiar with flowers or vegetable plants. Remember the kind that come in these plastic trays? They're already pre-started, so you don't have to plant the seeds. But they come in trays. They're usually six or eight. And then, well, those are connected with a flat. And the flat usually has like 24 of them on. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so you get those at Walmart or wherever you go. Just if you, you know. And I'm going to plant a few annuals this year, so... Thing, interesting thing about that is I learned, and you won't do this because you're scared to do this. I've never heard anybody doing this. But when I, except this was the experience I had as a teenager, I worked for a, uh, a historical society, and one of the things that we did was plant this huge garden for the Zorites, which were a Shaker community, and they had gardens. And the guy took this big old beautiful tray of flowers, and there's, you know, all kinds of them, and we would mix them and make beautiful patterns and stars and whatever. Anyway, it doesn't matter, and we plant them in the ground. But the first thing he did was take his hedge climbers, set that vat down, and go, until there was nothing left but a little stem sticking up out of those little plastic things. And then we plant them, crisscross and make patterns and whatever, and put each one right where they're supposed to be in, and then watered them faithfully, and all of a sudden we had the beautiful. Why? All the energy had been gone to producing a little bit of flour, so you would buy the thing, and you stick it in the ground, wonder why nothing happens for five months. But bam, you cut that thing off, all of a sudden it's got to go, oop, strength to the roots. Boom, big root system begins to develop. And then, wow. Another thing, you pull those little things out, and all you see is white. Why? Because they're so root-bound. All that root's done is grown in that special soil for, for however long in that hothouse until the thing is so entwined. And then you wonder why when you stick it in there, you pull it up three months later, and it still looks the same. Literally. The dog goes digging in there, or the cat, and you... 
There's that little thing, square, just like it came out of the thing. Well, you got to break that root ball up, right? And allow that thing to go in a different direction besides spiraling in a circle. Oh, I wouldn't do that. It might destroy it. You know what? If we're going to grow, folks, God's got to get allowed in to where we are and begin to take some things off and begin to pry some things apart and begin to work in you in order that you can grow. Stay my little root ball down my little thing. And next year, and the year after that, I'm still blooming for Jesus. And we wonder why God isn't, because why? We're not sinking ourselves deeper into God's word. We're not getting out there and getting fearful incidents happening where God builds up our faith. We're not out there stressing a little bit now and then about the lost. We're not out there stressing about our family and friends who don't know Jesus. Don't make me uncomfortable, God. I'll serve you in 2019, just like I did 2018. We'll just be fine. Me and you, God, right? God says, I'd just like to get in there. Because whom God loves, he prunes. (laughs) Read it. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If it's not producing, I want to get rid of it. So that you can produce... Oh, well. Sometimes what seems harmful is instead the best way to get new growth and real production. And I know enough about God to know that he cares about our growth. He cares about it so much. And the tough lesson of Christmas is that God has always been interested in new beginnings. He rocked the world. All Jerusalem's in an uproar. God's always been interested in new beginnings. God's always been interested in change. God's always been interested in growth. We cannot, as Christians and God followers, stay stagnant. We cannot cling to our fears and hibernate in our homes. We were meant, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, to grow, to flourish, to produce, to bear fruit, to be Christians into the world, to make a difference at work, at home, in the community through the church. We were meant to grow, and growth always comes at the cost of our surrender to God and to his will. Always chop me off. Dig in my root ball. Do whatever you want to do, God. And growth comes at that cost of surrender, and growth comes as we pursue Jesus in worship because he is worthy Growth comes as we shut down our fears and listen to God's voice. So all of us face the new year somewhat between those aspects of response of fear and response of worship. 
And I'm just saying wherever you are on that continuum, you need to get out the response of growth. Right? And say, Lord, what do you want to do? Stir me up. Dig around. Cut off. Whatever it takes to do something this year that's different than the year before. Because 219 could very well be the year for us to break free from the chains of fear. 2019 could be the year for us to really begin to worship God in a deeper level. 2019 could be your greatest year of spiritual growth when everyone will look and say, wow, and you won't even notice. (laughs) Because you're concentrating on growing. And they're going to sit back and say, did you see that? She was so timid, she wouldn't even hardly say hello to you in the hallway of the church. But now she's telling somebody at Walmart that God loves them. See, 2019 is the year. Or 2020. Or 2021. And somehow we just keep pushing it down the road. Well, I want to, but... You see, if we wait till all our ducks get in a row, we would never have children. If we wait till all our ducks get in a row, we would never graduate from college, go to seminary, whatever, some of those milestones in your life. If you're just going to wait, no, you just have to get out there and go. Take on the debt, take on the whatever you have to take on. To get that accomplished. Because why? If we want to do spiritual things and follow the purpose and plan of God, then we're going to have to get out there and take that first step, even if it means stumbling or falling. But you have to try. And I tell you this, God has promised us when we say the first word that he's going to take care of it because he's going to know already what we should say. That's his promise. He's going to help us to know what we should do. God knows you and your personality and your issues. And if you wait around for Aaron to show up, God wants to use Moses now. I'm not a ghost. What is your life to become? What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? What is going to happen for the cause of Christ? Only you can decide. A real relationship with God is your goal. Fear is your enemy. I think Cindy sings that song, Fear, he is a liar. Fear is your enemy. Growth is your friend. To have that relationship with God. It's family altar time. It's 2019. Two days away. Just another day on the calendar. But today is not just another day on the calendar. Today's the day when you're going to say, Lord, tear into me. Prune me. Work on me. Or I'll just go out the way I was. That's your choice. As we stand together, Lord Jesus... I've asked you to speak this morning, and I feel like you have. 
Now, the response is not mine. It's the Holy Spirit's work. And then we as individuals have to say yes. So, Lord, allow us to respond with a yes. That's the only way we're going to grow. Thank you for this time of response. And thank you, Lord, for our willingness to grow. Today is the day to grow again. In Jesus' name. It's so easy to see what God wants us to do if we look for it. It's easier sometimes to see what Satan wants us to do because he just throws it at us. But Lord, we have to get away from the focus on the world and focus on God. What do you want us to do, Lord? What are you bringing to our attention? What are you sharing with us, Lord? What are you, what are you telling us today? How can I grow? How can I be more like Jesus? How can I be Jesus to the world around me? Lord Jesus, help us to see that today. Oh God, we just surrender to you. We kneel before you in our hearts and we say you are God and we are the servant. And Lord, we would want to do God's will. We want to follow God's pattern. For Lord, you already planned for us. You've already purposed for us. It's our job to find it and follow that purpose. Lord, we as a church have been praying about how we can reach out. What can we do? What's next? How can we stay the same when there's people in our community that are just needing God? So I pray that you would continue to show us and open the way, Lord, that we can actually pursue something for the cause of Christ. And Lord, it may not just be one something, it could be many somethings as all of us go out and become disciples in our community. Lord, we're here to say, your will be done. (laughs) Your will be done. On earth, just like it is in heaven. You say the word in heaven and boom, it gets done. When you say the word to us, we should respond. Lord, our desire is to respond today. That's our desire. So, Lord, we just ask that you be with those that are making important decisions, be with those that are dealing with physical issues, be with those that are just getting tired of life, be with those, Lord, that have spiritual issues in their life, or family members with spiritual issues, neighbors with spiritual issues. Lord, be with that man who came to our office this week. Lord, be with these people that just need more of God. You called us to be light and to be salt. And we've got to do more than just spread it around in in our own little group. We've got to get it out there. Let the light shine, Jesus. Let the light shine. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Let our light shine for you. Put us up on a hill. Put us out there in the community. Now, Lord, we are here to worship as well. And the remainder of this service is given to celebrating Jesus and lifting him up. And Lord, we just want to do that. We want Jesus to be first. And we want you, Lord, to be exalted. And we want to be able to praise you. But Lord, help us also in that praising of you, 
to continue to surrender, to continue to surrender to your will. That's what worship's all about. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're looking for a church in the Brazil, Indiana area, the Brazil Church of the Nazarene invites you to join us as we seek Him, celebrate Him, and serve Him. Sunday morning, we have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. During worship, we have We Worship for preschool-aged kids and a children's church for elementary-aged kids. For this information, news, a schedule of events, and more, please visit us online at brazilnaz.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-N-A-Z dot com. Or visit us in person at 1002 East National Avenue in Brazil. Thank you and God bless.